I would encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. I'm going to use one verse here. Take Paul's challenge. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse five. We began to look at this last week. We're going to continue to uh, look at this for a few more weeks. Verse 5 says, Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, Indeed, unless indeed you fail the test? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Bless the reading. Bless the expounding of your word. I pray for uh, just clarity and that uh, your spirit will work in our hearts and minds, our lives to illumine our heart, that we will apply these things to our life. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our salvation is a miraculous event. It is something that is supernatural. Just, uh, it's no less than Christ raising Lazarus from the dead, Christ saying, Lazarus, come forth. It's the same uh, as a a miracle that Jesus would do of turning, uh, being able to feed 5,000 with just five loaves of bread, two fishes. It's a miracle. And if we don't see salvation as a miracle, folks, then we are the wrong. We are the one in the wrong. We don't quite understand salvation as it is seen in Scripture. It is the work of a a sovereign God in our life. In fact, Christ said he called it being born again. And in John chapter three. Uh, And I will have that on the screen for you. In John chapter 3, in verse 4, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, he tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Nicodemus responds, Nicodemus said in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? Now, Nicodemus is no... Uh, dummy here. He knows uh, what Jesus is saying here, but he's just saying this is impossible. And and he's right. Jesus answered and is essentially saying, nonetheless, it it is impossible, but nonetheless, it's true. He says, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, that's baptism of, of cleansing with the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is fleshly. That which is born of the Spirit is spiritual. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it, go, it is going. So So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's clearly a work of God, a work of the Holy Spirit to work in a person's life to cause them to be born again. It's a supernatural event. It's a miracle. 
And we need to see salvation in that term, in those, in that light. Now, if we go back to our Corinthian passage, Paul is saying now, test your faith to see if that miracle has taken place. Test your faith to see if God has, has genuinely worked. We want authentic salvation. Did God really work in our life? And there should be some evidence of that. When you have a new baby, if you bring a new baby home from the hospital, there's, there's evidence of life in that house. You hear the evidence. You smell the evidence. You, you can't be too loud. The baby's sleeping. You have to pick up everything off the floor because the baby's crawling around. There's evidence of life. There's distinction of life. We know when there's life. And we know when there's spiritual life as well. And Paul is calling us, he's calling the Corinthian church to test yourself. To see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Now, we're using that then as a challenge to our own self, to look at our own life, we have to take the Word of God and examine our own life for genuine faith, the evidence that God has actually worked in our life. Now, we want to go a little bit deeper because it's not just the life, it's the heart. That's where God works. That's the the bigger problem is the human heart. Uh, and, and we know this, this was played out for us in uh, the Old Testament with Israel. God had given Israel commands, but they failed time after time after time. And the conclusion was, is that they would try, but they could not do it because their hearts were so, were so wicked. Their hearts were not turned toward, toward Christ. And the best that they could do was, was uh, legalism. They were still enslaved to their own sinfulness. And they could only, only serve God out of, not out of faith, but out of duty. And that's what many of them would do. There was no real change in their life. And God comes and He says, look, you're serving me with your, you're giving me lip service and with your hands and with your feet, but your heart is far from me. And that's a danger. That's a danger. It's just hypocrisy. And what needed to happen was faith in that heart. What needed to happen was a change. And God then promises that change for the future of Israel. And we see this in Ezekiel chapter 36. Let me read this. Verse 24, he says, For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands. He's going to bring them back together. And bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle with clean waters. And and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you with from cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, and he's getting to the heart of the, the issue here. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. That's what needs to happen. A new heart. Man cannot muster up enough gumption to fulfill the law. We just cannot do it. 
in our sinful flesh. We need a new heart. And he goes on to say, and I will put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's what needs to happen. We cannot walk in the statutes of God unless we have that clean, pure heart. And you will be careful to observe my uh, my ordinances. That's what needs to happen. Now, that was just a and the church age that we're living in now is really just a, a preview of what is to come for Israel. God is talking to Israel and someday God's going to do that to Israel. But as a, a precursor to that, to make Israel jealous, he is doing that within the church today. A new covenant in the New Testament. That's what we see in the church age. Now, when God works in a life, there's change. Things change. And there's going to be evidence of that work. And that becomes, that evidence becomes the basis then of the test for us. Has God really worked? Has God changed that heart? Has God taken that old stony heart out and put in a heart of flesh? Now you say, well, that's a little subjective. How can we even know that? So often we just stop at the doctrinal test and say, oh, do you believe this? Yes, I believe that. So you're in. But we're with, we have to have a clean conscience here and a clean conscience tells us that we cannot just stop with the doctrinal test. We have to go on and see if there's evidence of a changed heart, this new covenant. If not, we're in danger. We're in danger. So we're looking for the evidence. And the key element of that is faith. It's genuine faith. Peter said it's more precious than gold. I keep saying that, but it, it is so true. That faith is more precious than gold. That's the evidence that God has worked in our life is this supernatural faith that God has given. And Paul is calling us here to the, the church, really, to examine ourselves to see if God has worked. Much like that you, you would examine the integrity of an engine or the stress on a heart, you put it through a, a stress test or the quality of a product. Um, we want to test our faith, examine our life with the word of God in one hand and a mirror in the other hand, looking at ourselves. Is this true? Here's what the Bible says. And here's what is is in my life. And we look at that and we compare it and we have to say, OK, is this true? Now, folks, the American church needs to hear this. The American church needs to examine themselves. And I think we're further and further Away from genuine, real salvation. Now, biblical faith is, is not a one-time act. That's the principle that we, we have been looking at. It's not a one-time thing. Oh, I did that a long time ago. I'm a Christian. I exercised faith in God a long time ago. I prayed this prayer or whatever. Genuine believers, so genuine faith is not a one-time act. It is a lifestyle. It's a life of, of living. It's a way of life. It's a, a consistent practice in the Christian life of faith. And the question that we've been asking is how can we be certain of genuine saving faith? How can we know? How can we know? There's 11 evidences in the book of 1 John. 
11 points of evaluation of genuine faith in the book of First John. Self-examination. And uh, these become then the basis for our test. So I, I would invite you to turn over the book of First John. We'll stay in the book of First John as much as we can. We will travel outside of that today. First John. And the whole point of the book of First John is saving faith. Of knowing. In chapter 5 and verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe. That's the doctrinal test. In the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the subjective elements, and he's laying those things out here. The doctrinal test, do you believe? Yeah, okay. Then let's look and go beyond that, just what you say, you profess you believe, and let's look at your heart. And then, at the res- as a result of that, in chapter 1 and verse 4, John says, these things I have written. So here's another purpose so that you, your joy be made complete. As a result of examining our life with the Word of God in one hand and the mirror in our other hand, examining ourselves, the, the hope is that, we, uh, that our, our joy has been made complete. We see evidence. Yes. Yes, I see evidence of God working in my life. I see the miracle of salvation that has taken place in my life. Now, we have taken those 11 uh, elements now and broken them down into four different categories. And last week we, we introduced that one category of uh, the first one is evidences from uh, the Christian's relationship with God. We'll look at the evidence from the Christian's spiritual life and growth and then the evidence from Christian's relationship with others. Those are the, the broader outline. Last week we began to look at the evidences of genuine faith From the Christian's relationship with God. There's a connection. We have to be connected to God. And we looked at 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. What we have seen. That's John and those apostles. What we've seen and heard. We proclaim to you. So that you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father. And with the Son Jesus Christ. So that. That. uh, Baton has been passed. Baton has been passed from generation to generation to generation. We call it discipleship. He says, we, what we've saw in Jesus Christ, we pass that on to you. And as a result of that connection with God, there's genuine fellowship, partnership, a connection. And the result of that, we saw, the result of that, we saw that, that connection it's compared to a building on a foundation. It's compared to branches and a vine, a marriage, a marriage union, the body and the head. That connection there, that connection will produce in us a love for God. If you look over First John chapter five verse one, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, how do we know? And whoever loves the Father, the love of uh, loves the Father, loves the children born of Him. There's evidence of that connection, and that the first part of that evidence is is just a love for God. We saw that last week. That if you we can look at uh, chapter four, just go back just one chapter, verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There's a love that, a new capacity to love. If you go down to verse 16, we have 
come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God in him. There's that fellowship, that connection with God and everyone connected with God. There's a love that's produced. Paul said that that love is shed abroad or poured out in our life. And it controls us in 1 Corinthians 5, he says. Chapter and verse 19, if you want to go down to that, we love because God first loved us. That's that connection. That connection is going to produce a love in our heart for for God. We need to, to know that. And that translates into evidence. There's a, that makes a distinction then in the believer's life that he just loves God. He's always drawn to God. There's, there's a drawing near. He calls out to God. Abba, Father, Paul says. There's a, a love for what God loves and a hatred for what God hates. There's a love of the things of God. A love of God Himself. A love for God's word, a love for God's people, a love for God's business. Now, I have relatives, just like you have relatives, probably, that um, that would claim to be Christians. They'd raise their hand, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I have relatives that would claim to be Christians, but have never stepped foot in God's church. And I think, how can that be? If there's genuine Connection with God. If God has worked in that heart, there's a change of heart, there's going to be a love there that's going to be drawn, that's going to draw people to God Himself and to God's church, God's people. There's going to be some kind of visible connection with God and God's church, God's Word, growth. It's just going to be there, folks. That's evident. You you look at your life um, and you have to say, Is that love for God there? Is that connection? Do I love going to to His church? To be with His people? To read His Word? Do I love His righteousness? So the connection will produce love. That that's being born again will produce that kind of love for the family. Now, number two. A true believer has the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the heart. Let me say that again. A true believer has the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his heart. Once that connection has been made, there's an indwelling then of the Holy Spirit. Now that's going to create a a radical difference. If you notice in in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 verse 13, by this we know, that we abide in Him. How do we know that, that that connection is made and we're connected to God? And He has given us because He, because He has given us of His Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. How do we know that we have that connection? Because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our life. Every believer. Every believer. Now, there's a couple of points of distinction that will make us distinct from the world and that is uh, that is Paul's that is John's point really in the book of first John he he wants us to be distinct from the world and he'll point that out and he's very black and white here's the children of God and here's the children of the devil and and uh, this is this is the the situation now what makes us distinct is the Holy Spirit 
taking up residence in our life. And there's two distinctions I want you to understand that I want you to know. And it's in the very next verse in chapter four, verse 14 of first John. We have seen and testified. So the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Now, we we know that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our life because of what we hold to. Because of our convictions in our own life. If you turn over to chapter 2, verse 20, 27, John makes it very clear here. These things we have written to you, to you um, concerning these things we've tried to, uh, for those who are trying to deceive you, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him, that is Christ, abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, how do we, what's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in our life? There's an understanding there. We don't need anyone to teach us. Now, he's not saying we don't need physical teachers. We don't need people to, to teach us or we don't need to study. But the Holy Spirit produces a conviction in our life. We come to to know these things. You you say, well, I I present the gospel to my husband. He doesn't become a Christian. Or I present the gospel to this person. He doesn't become a Christian. The Holy Spirit has to take that word, that gospel, and produce an understanding there. Now, once there's understanding, there's there's a hanging on to that. Oh, yeah, I believe that. There's a conviction, even to the point of of death in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul makes this same point very, very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, it's a wonderful passage. For to us, God revealed through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the mind, knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit? Of the man which is in him, even so the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. That's a wonderful thing to have the Holy Spirit in us to bring conviction to our own life, to to bring uh, that confidence. May we have received, now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us. So that we can have that confidence that Paul said, I know whom I have believed. How do we know? Because the Holy Spirit produces that within a, within a person's life. Which things we also speak, verse 14, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. Combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. But, now here's the, the contrast between the Christian and the non-Christian, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The Holy Spirit has to illumine that heart. That Holy Spirit has to to teach that person, "You're, you're wrong. You need to repent. Has to produce faith and belief in Jesus Christ and give an understanding. Without that Holy Spirit, folks... We are we are just as as ignorant as as anyone else. 
Holy Spirit has to produce that. It's a spiritual praising. Verse 15, for he who is spiritually praises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he would instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit resides in us, when the word of God is preached, we hear that word and we think, I believe that. That's what I believe. That's true. And there's, it produces a conviction in our, our life folks, to the point that, that we're willing to die for. We have the, the mind of, of Christ and we can know, we have conviction. And, and in a relativistic world, folks, we need to understand that. That we can stand with conviction. We can stand with knowledge and say absolute truth. I, I know. I know that the Holy Spirit has worked in my life. I know that I'm a different man. I, I understand. I see now my own sinfulness. I know the holiness of God that I can't, I can't reach it in my own strength. I know that I need to repent. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If that has happened, that's evidence of a miracle being produced in your life. And we can say with Paul, I know whom I have believed. Number two, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our life. He produces understanding and identification where we, we hear the Word of God. We say, I identify with that. I know that. But He also produces fruit in our life. And this is an amazing stuff. This is amazing stuff. And we can go to uh, Galatians chapter 5. We can read the fruit of the Spirit. But before I do that, I want to compare it in contrast to where we are now. Before the Holy Spirit comes in our life, we are... We are still in our flesh. And we need to understand that a little bit. That's where the contrast really lies. There's the flesh that we see in Scripture. And then we see the Holy Spirit changing our life. Not walking in the flesh anymore. The flesh then is this moral and ethical, in the moral and ethical sin. It's always, since it's always um, uh, understood in an evil connection or an evil connotation. That... That this flesh is in. It's the, the sinful flesh. The sin nature. It's the unredeemed humanity. And it's just about self. It's very self-focused. Now I want you to see some verses here. Now remember I, I read John 3, 6. Earlier when Christ said. That which is born of the flesh is fleshly. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit, spiritual. Of the, of the spirit. Keep that in mind as, you, as we go through these verses. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see a contrast here. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, For uh, you, have, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's a past tense. You were. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them you too formerly lived. Making sure that's past tense. That is no longer the believer. He's not well, formally lived in the lust of the flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. But God. God had to intervene. Now, we were walking according to the lust of the flesh. The desires of the flesh, it's, it's just, uh, just fleshly, just Carl Dingus all over it. I just, Carl Dingus's passions. It's all I, I was living for, not principles of the Word of God, 
not principles from Christ, but flesh, the lust of the flesh, desiring uh, uh, desires of the flesh. But God comes in and changes a life. That's where the change takes place. We were living in the flesh and now we live in the spirit. Turn over to Romans chapter seven, Romans chapter seven, verse five. For while you were in the flesh, the sinful passion, which were aroused by the law, were at work in your members, the members of your body, to bear fruit for death. <laughs> the, the, the flesh, it, all it can do is produce death. You just keep pursuing your, your own desires, and it's going to produce death. That's where you were while you were in the flesh. There's a difference. That's the distinction in the flesh or in the spirit. If you turn over one more chapter, this is the chapter that was read for us by Clifton. I'll just narrow it down to verse four so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled who do not walk according to the flesh. That's us. We don't walk according to the flesh anymore. That's the distinction. That's what makes us different. That's what, when you're evaluating yourself, that's what you want to look for. Am I walking according to the flesh? It says, but, but you, but we as Christians, believers, we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are on according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. There's there's enmity. There's an there's enmity between the two. They're enemies for it does not subject itself to the law of God. Those principles of the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So you are either in the flesh or not in the flesh. You are in the flesh or in the spirit. And then he goes on to say, however, you are not in the uh, flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. When the Holy Spirit is connected to the person, he indwells that person. That person stops walking in the flesh and begins to walk in the spirit. That's a sharp contrast. That's what makes us different from the world, folks. You say that's still a little subjective. Let's flesh that out a little bit. Verse 12, so then, brethren, we are not under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are being or you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we are people who are are putting to death every day the flesh. Verse 12. 25 verse chapter 7 Paul understanding this principle he says wretched man that I am who will who will set me free from this body of death this flesh how can I be free from this thing and he thinks God he says thanks be to God through Jesus Christ so then on the one hand the real Paul the, the guy who is inside this fleshly body with my mind, he says, I serve the, the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. And there's a, there's a fight there. We're putting the deeds of the flesh to, to death. We're not walking according to the flesh anymore. We're daily renewing our mind 
Now, that again is a distinction. Let me give you three principles here. Number one, if you are a believer, every believer receives the work of the, receives the Spirit of God. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Paul was very, very clear. Number two, the flesh and the Spirit cannot live together. It's like death and life. <laughs> you're either dead or you're alive. The two cannot be combined. You cannot have both. And then number three, there's a principle here. The flesh will always produce death. The flesh will always produce death. The spirit will always produce life. Now, say, well, man, that's not where I live. <laughs> it's not so black and white, Carl. Now, I, I understand. I understand that the believer, you know, the believer can never go back to being not alive. If he's in the spirit, he's going to have life. There's going to be evidence. But there's always that residual effect of the flesh, isn't there? That manifestation of the flesh, that old habits of thinking that the flesh has not, that the spirit is not caught up with the, the mind of the way it thinks. Or just the habits of the body. We have to retrain ourselves. That's where discipline comes in. And we can fall back to those old habits sometimes. But we now put to death those old habits and walk by the Spirit. We're renewing our mind. That's what it takes. Take the Word of God. Take these principles. And say, Carl, you wake up in the morning. Carl, I don't live by the flesh anymore. I live by the Spirit. Okay, so I'm going to take these principles, renew my mind, remind myself, okay, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm going to not please myself. I'm going to please God. That's where it is. That's where it is. Now, let's look at Galatians chapter 5, because I want you to see this distinction. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, we see a very, very clear distinction. But I say... Walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's important. Walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh such its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. They cannot exist to each other. They cannot exist in the same person. For they are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you that you please. You cannot serve yourself and God. You, you've got to set aside self and serve God. Verse, skip down then to verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are. Let's stop right there. Wow. Just prepare yourself for this. The deeds of the flesh. What does it look like to live and to walk in the flesh? He just He just lays it out here. This is so good. Verse 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. It's clear. It's clear. You don't have to look past your own family. (laughs) The deeds of the flesh are immorality, impurity. It's not the immorality of of just adultery or or something like that. It's just any immorality, kind of a broad term. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Jealousy? That's pretty mild. Outburst of anger. Anger? Well, man, that's a mild form here. Come on now. It's not that bad, Paul. Yes, it is. Disputes, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. 
that's the flesh. It's just flesh. Self. All of these things. Enmity, strife, jealousy. That's just self. And it leaves a, it's like a, a hurricane. We've seen, we've been watching these hurricanes. And they just leaves devastation behind. That's the flesh. It just leaves devastation behind because it's just all about you. It's all about self. Fleshly. And carnage and drama and confusion and chaos and just your own passions and self-driven. Now let's contrast that with the Spirit. And that's in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. You want to know if the Lord has worked in your life? Well, let's, let's look at this. Here's the fruit. If, the, if the, the Spirit has taken up residence in your life, He is living in your life, here's what He's going to produce. And it's not going to be the charismatic chaos that we see in the world. Here's what it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's not chaos. That's not a, a whirlwind. That's not a, a, a tornado coming through. That's, that's just the opposite. Love and joy and peace. Now, we have wires. I'm discovering this. We have wires going all over this building. And you, you can't see them, but you see the evidence. We, we flip a, a light switch back, or flip a light switch on and... <clears throat> And we know that there's a connection there because the lights come on, right? You flip the lever in the sound booth and all the sound comes on, all the mic, mics come on. Um, you you uh, push a, a button and this big screen, it, it comes down. And we know that connection is made because it does what we expect it to do. It does what, and we can't see those, those wires, but we know that they're there. Because of the evidence of the connection. Now, I want you to see this. This is important. When one is attached to God, and that Holy Spirit is there, this is what's going to result. There's going to be, because that that connection, it's going to produce what we expect it produce. That would be really strange if, if that camera, those cameras on the wall, projecting down here, but... You go out in the foyer and you've got the football game going on. Well, that doesn't, that's not connection, right? We know it's connection because whatever those cameras are pointing out right here, it should be on the television screen out there too. Now, if there's two different things, then you've got a different connection. If you're, folks, and here's the connection, if you're living in the flesh, now, you could say all oh, the cameras are pointing toward God, the cameras are pointing. But if you're living in the flesh, you've got to ask the question, what's wrong? There's something wrong here. If, the, if there's a connection, if that Holy Spirit is, is dwelling in your life, it's going to produce, produce these things. Love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. That's the kind of life that it's going to produce, that He is going to produce in your life. And, and if you want to look for evidence, it's right there. It's right there. How can we tell that we are of the Lord? Well, we're taught by the Holy Spirit. We have a a love for God in our our life. And there's fruit. There's fruit. You say, well, what can I do to just minimize the flesh? Let me throw some 
verses on the screen. Number one, we're, we're told from Romans chapter 13, don't make any provision for the flesh. The flesh will, will die off. It, it's like a, a red paint can. You can dump all of the paint out and there'd be no more paint in that. But you can still tell that there's red, that there was red paint in that. It, the, the spirit has, has now filled us. But you know what? We still have that residual effect of the flesh. And we're constantly cleaning that paint can, cleaning this, this body. And he says, make no provision for the flesh. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. He says, let us cleanse yourself. Let's cleanse yourself from the defilement of the flesh. In Galatians chapter six, verse eight, we, we sow, we don't sow to the, if we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we'll reap life. Romans chapter eight. We set our minds on the things above, not in the things of the flesh. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, we don't indulge the flesh. It's dead to us. And we, we keep it dead. We live, we work, we move, we have our being in the Spirit. And it's just like Lazarus. Christ calling Lazarus from the tomb. And he says, Lazarus come forth. And all of a sudden, there's new life there. And Lazarus gets up and walks. He was dead. And he gets up and walked. And everybody saw it. There was evidence of that. Folks, when the Holy Spirit comes in us, there's a new life there. And you have to examine your own life. When you look at your life in one hand with a mirror, and you look at the Word of God on the other hand, and you compare those two, what do you see? Do you see the Holy Spirit producing its fruit? Or do you see chaos? Do you see flesh? Well, if you're a believer, there's a miraculous birth that's taken place. God has taken out an old stony heart, put in a heart of flesh, a love for Him, and a new spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we... Just thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. I pray that we would keep our minds, keep our eyes on the things above. Keep our eyes on the Spirit of God at work in our life. Lord, may we see evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. We thank you for the life that we do see. Lord, what a, what a joy it is we can come away today rejoicing because we see the Holy Spirit changing our life. Maybe not to the degree we want, maybe not to the speed that we would want. But Lord, we see evidence of change. And Lord, we thank you for your active Holy Spirit working in our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.